One other thing that I forgot to bring to your attention in the, the announcements. <clears throat> October 1st through the 5th, um, we are supposed to be teaching the doctrine of salvation to the Antioch pastors. And the guy who is supposed to go uh, may not be able to go. And I have not heard the email replies yet to find out what was going on, whether their church was in financial position to do it or not. If he cannot go because of having all of the bureaucratic stuff to deal with, the only person who has the ability to go then would be me uh, because I uh, possess a, a multi-entry visa into Russia. Uh, and it takes about 60 days, 60 to 90 days, depending on homeland security, uh, to get all the hoops dressed through. I would ask you to be in prayer about it. Um, to be honest with you, I'm scheduled to go in March of 08 and teach First Corinthians. Um, uh, I would prefer that, uh, uh, but I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to pull both trips off. I can't pull both trips off. This is one of God's things. Uh, I'm also supposed to travel in November uh, to Albuquerque for leadership by the book and then on to Chicago to meet with uh, a bunch of Russian pastors on what we're doing in Antioch and opening doors and closing doors and stuff like that, which would mean I would be gone October and November, and I don't want to do that. Um, traveling is overrated. Uh, international traveling is a bane on society. <laughs> um, if you, everybody seems to think that there's great joy in this, uh, when you have a Saturday, and I mean the daylight hours of Saturday are 39 hours, it isn't as joyful as we want it to be. Okay? Uh, so uh, and that's what happens when you come back from Russia is that you leave at 1 o'clock, and uh, Saturday morning, 11, what, 12 time zones away, and you land in Denver after a two-hour layover in Atlanta, and it's still Saturday, 7 o'clock in the evening. And your body says, what are you doing? <laughs> and, and why are you up? So uh, I would ask, I cherish your prayers. Also be in prayer. Uh, a lot of stuff is happening on the medical front there in Russia. Uh, and we're trying to pull together. A, we would like to plug a doctor in uh, um, the first trip back in. There's a trip in October. There's a trip in December. And then a trip in spring. We'd like to, before this end of this year, uh, get a doctor to meet with our doc, the Russian doctor so that they can kind of articulate doctor stuff. Uh, because we're wanting to use that house that they bought for a summer camp as a clinic. Uh, and we would do it under a Russian doctor's license. So uh, I would ask you just to be in prayer about that and um, how we can be involved. All right, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. I'm going to pray, then we're going to read this, and then we're going to just jump right in the middle of it. We're looking at facets of love. There's 15 facets of love. So even though your outline is two parts, it is actually going to be about 17 parts because it's just metric. Okay? Um, let's pray and then we'll read. Father, we come before you understanding, even as we sing, they'll know us by our love. Father, the whole world looks for love. I've never met a human being, Lord, nor have you created a human being who does not want to be loved. And yet man is incapable of even thinking about this text, let alone fulfilling this text. It is not in man's natural abilities. Therefore, Lord, we beg you, help us love as you loved us. Father, you left your throne, incarnate Christ, walked among us because of your love. And even then, Lord, our response was self-centered. Help us, Father. Help us to see this. And Father, as we hear it, we know we can't do it. Thank you for taking us to that place. But Lord, I would beg you, overwhelm the cells of Christianity. And may the love of Christ be that that is witnessed. For they will know us by our love. To your glory. Amen.
Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Basically, what we're looking at is God intervening in the middle of this church and the contradiction of their life, quote-unquote, for Christ in light of what the Scriptures say, what God says. When I think about love, and I, the reason I call it the facets of love and then give you the two points, what love does and what love doesn't, is because when you shine love into the prism of Christ, it comes out in 15 facets. Okay, And you can't get the best out of the 15. Well, I've got 11 out of 15. No, because if you've got 11 out of 15, then you do not have the original light shining in. You got that? It isn't the, you know, am I more than 50%? No, that ain't how it works. Why? I must decrease, he must increase. All right? And what had happened in this church was they had become self-promoting. Each individual was wanting the prominence. Um, brothers and sisters, I share this with you with all the love that I can muster at this point in time, saying this is eating up the church in America. It is absolutely destroying the church in America. Everybody is becoming a star. Uh, if you don't believe me, why are secular businesses buying out Christian publishers? Tell me that. Explain that to me. I thought we were going to be an offense to them. You bring the gospel to bear, what will happen to the people who hear it? But now they want to hear it? Why? Look at um, the bulk of Christian literature, the bulk of Christian TV, the bulk of Christian music, the bulk of Christian radio. Whatever you listen to is about who? About you. It's about you. Why would I sell a book on how to build a church? Why would you do that? Tell me why you would do that. I don't understand it. I thought he said he was going to build it. That's what I thought. Why would I have all these self-help promotions based on what? Self-help. And I think that the focus is the same that the Corinthians had. It is about me. It is about me. That's amazing to me. And yet it is, it is growing. It is growing. I've never seen anything like it. You know, and I go back to John's gospel chapter 12 and John says, or, or Jesus says, you know what? I have not spoke of, but my father. And how quiet would Christendom be if the only thing we ever spoke about was God? And if I ain't speaking about God, then I got nothing to say. Truthfully, if you're really honest with yourself, if you're not speaking about God, what do you really have to say? Which one is eternal? The thing you're struggling with? Well, but Terry, you just don't understand. No, I probably don't. Therefore, I would suggest that you walk with me. Because it's obvious I don't understand, and perhaps you can assist me to understand. I mean, one of Paul's greatest ministries was when he was imprisoned by the Praetorium Guard. He was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day. He had 12-hour shifts. And the poor soldier would have to listen to Paul 12 hours at a time. Okay, so I would suggest, I don't understand, come and chain yourself to me, and you can help me to understand better, okay? And I, it sounds harsh, and I think about our society today, when I was formulating these words, I thought, man, this sounds cruel. Well, you just don't care about us. You just don't, you don't understand, and I'm dealing with grandkids. You don't understand, I'm dealing with kids. You don't understand, my job ain't doing this, or my, this ain't happening. You know what, I got friends that, that are just wayward, and I've got, this is happening, i got, this is happening, and my job, and oh, and it's hot. And, and I, I shake my head and say, and? 
what's the problem? And you know what is missing? Love. That's what's missing. Why? Love is patient. It's long-suffering. You know what that means, right? You can't hurt the person who loves. It's impossible. You can crucify them on a cross. And you, you can't hurt them. Father, do not hold this against them. Stephen, being stoned as the stones are crushing upon him, looks up to heaven and says, you know what? Don't hold this to their account. Please don't tell me that this is impossible. This is very possible. And if the church would bow before this, the church would be so radical that the world would stand in awe of it. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. Love is kind. Not only does it not retaliate, the person who attacks... If the person who loves tries to be useful to the person attacking him. Jesus hanging on the cross. Was that useful? That was very useful. Do you understand how useful that is? It was so useful it got our rear ends into heaven. And yet while we were attacking him, he was being useful to us. He was substituting what was due you and I. That's kindness. It is not jealous. It is not jealous. How easy is this to step up? How easy is it to be envious of another person? Because they have this or they don't have that. And then how is it it to let that to boil? That's what it literally means to boil from underneath. To boil up because I don't even want you to have it. If I can't have it, I don't want you to have it. But I see that all over the place. I see that in this body. And it hurts me. But it can't hurt me as much as it must my our Lord and our Savior. It is not boastful. Okay? This is what I call the verbalization of pride. How many people do you hear talk about themselves? Have you ever got a phone call? Somebody who's feeling guilty about something? Okay? You ever got had these? Okay, and the first things come out of their mouths is how you're doing. And so you get a little in there and then they proceed to tell you how they're doing. Okay. So why'd you call me? If I wanted to know how you were doing, I'd have called you. Right. Have you ever run into that? Nobody's ever had that. Maybe it's just a pastoral phenomenon. I don't know. Have you ever had that? Why? We want to. Verbalize. And then sometimes we will, have you ever watched people talk? You know, God did this in my life and I got to do this and I got to do that. And then all of a sudden, well, let me tell you what God did in my life. And then it gets up and it starts escalating. And the next thing you know, you got the new savior. Have you ever seen him? They just can't wait. Go read through Job's friends. He's got two senior friends who are sitting there in Elihu says, I cannot stand it anymore. I must speak. And he goes off on his big tirade. Why? He's a young one. And, you know, the two big guys is sharing their spiritual insight. And this kid is, I can't stand it anymore. I can share this. That's amazing to me. And one of the greatest joys that I ever had in my life was to go into, I had to meet a, uh, uh, Dr. Provost asked me to meet him at this barbecue place that we know in Los Angeles. Great barbecue. Uh, and I came in, I had just flown in and had got checked into my room and was trying to get over there as quick as I could. I told him I'd meet him there. And when I got there, here sat John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, and Bob Provost. You know what the greatest joy of that whole thing was? They had barbecue sauce on their chins. I like that. <laughs> Dude, you eat like me. <laughs> it's nice to know barbecue sauce even slides down your face. Okay, and I still don't know why I was there. Well, we were talking about what was going on in Russia. Okay, but that was a great moment for me. And everybody said, well, what about all that teaching? That's good too. But to see them sitting there with that stuff on their faces, <laughs> I'm in. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? 
we so many times, how's come we think a big numbers church is a godly church? That's got to be a blessed church of God. That church got to be amazing. God's got to be doing some amazing stuff there. Why do we say that? There's a lot of people there, so it's affecting a lot of people. Does it affect as many as the Broncos do on Sunday morning? They only get a 78,000. That's all. Is there any church that you know of gets that many? I don't know any. So, so, so what is that? I heard a poll that describes the most influential churches in America today, and it broke my heart to hear what the top 10 was. Because they were all based on numbers. They took the ones that had the biggest number, the biggest incomes, and those were the top 10. And yet most... Listen, I got news for you. I am not going to a church where the pastor tells me if I can find... um, What is it you call Your most um, need, your, your, your most important need, I can lead anybody to Christ. Yo, your deepest felt need, I can lead anybody to Christ. I ain't going to that church. Okay? I am not going to a church where they say send cards out, survey cards to lost people and tell them what they want from church. I'm not going to go to that church. That's gimmicks. The top five on the list all did that. Felt need. If I can find your most felt need, I can lead anybody to Christ. Let me tell you something. I couldn't lead anybody to Christ if he was standing next to me. It's impossible. If Christ doesn't open their eyes, they're not getting there. And I don't care what you do. But I hear people, that's verbalization. They're verbalizing their pride, their arrogance. And I'll write a book about it. I'll write several books about it. Because the next one is that it is not arrogant. That's the attitude that it comes out of, out of the heart. And I showed you that last week. Okay? All of this is introduction. All of this I want to bring back to your attention because, listen, you've got to see this. Why? If the church in Corinth can fall to it, why can't you? Not only that, the church in Ephesus had strong doctrine. Do you know who founded the church in Ephesus? Same guy who founded the church in Corinth. Okay, now so let me ask you a question. Do you think that had a good solid foundation? Listen, I heard a pastor one time tell me that, you know, as the leadership of the church goes, so goes the church. Who's the head of the church? Christ. All right. Who was the, who founded the church in Corinth? Paul. Okay. Wasn't Paul the human vessel? Right. All right. What happened to the church? What happened to the church in Ephesus? They lost their first love. Why? Because arrogance will rise up. We were founded by the apostle Paul. I sit under Dr. MacArthur's teachings. I sit under... What? I'll be spiritual. I sit under Jesus. (laughs) Do you understand that? We do it. You and I are guilty of this. It isn't, well, them crazy old Corinthians. No! Well, you know, God gave me a word. He did two here. one right there. Abound. That's what, there's one I got. It just happens to be blued in right there. So, abound. I don't know what that means. And I remember, <laughs> I remember a pastor one time, a guy stood up in his church and said, God has given me a song. And the pastor's response was this. He didn't want it. <laughs> the guy said, down. <laughs> it's arrogance. Okay, look at this next one. It's kind of funny because I... Uh, it does not act unbecomingly. Verse 5. Okay, some of your texts may say, behave rudely. Okay, and all the kids are going, uh-oh. Yeah, oh God, mom's been trying to get me to do my manners and he, he's going to eat my lunch right now. Um, in the verb form, remember now, this is verbs here, love and the action of the love. It does not behave in an unbecoming manner. Okay, poor manners. 
rude. Okay? Seems simple enough. You tie it with agape. Let's go on to the next one. Really? I thought about this. Okay, I thought, why is this in here? This is, I mean, this is, you know, don't chew with your mouth full. Or with your mouth open. Okay? Uh, You ever seen people slurp soup? If you haven't, then fix me a bowl of soup and I'll show you how it works. Okay? Uh, How about that when they get on a straw and the cup is empty? And it's got all the ice and then you hear that going on? Huh? And And my grandma had the thing with the elbows on the table when you eat. I never did understand what, what the issue was with that. Um, why I got a table if I'm not going to put my elbows on it? Um, you know, and then there's a few other things. Um, this is interesting because if you look at poor manners or rudeness or unbecoming, basically what you're saying, the person who has this, it says, I don't love you because I could care less what affects you. And I will do what I want, whether you like it or not. That seems kind of odd. I mean, I, I, you know, suck on a straw, chew with your mouth open. You know, who cares? I mean, that's the sort of way I was looking at it. But if you're honest with yourself, how much do you... Enjoy being around those who are doing it. I mean, if I'm slurping my soup and you're slurping your soup, it really don't bug me. If you're slurping your soup and I'm sitting there, it kind of bugs me. Doesn't it? Look at it from this perspective. Your happiness matters to me, so I want to do what makes you happy. Even if that means you don't want me to put my elbows on the table, okay, that's fine. I, I have a friend of mine who had a, a married couple in his church, and they were getting their marriage annulled. They hadn't been married very long. They were getting it annulled, and I had, had we were dialoguing back and forth about it. And he said, um, "I said, why are they having it annulled?" And he says, "Well, the guy just loves to belch all the time." Uh, and he likes to kind of focus it at his wife. And she believes that that is rude. And um, she is having the marriage annulled. And I thought, well, there you have it. You know what the judge said? It is apparent that the man does not love the woman or he would have been more considerate of her. And signed the divorce papers. The judge had a bigger insight than the man did or the woman, to be as a matter of fact. Now listen, don't run out of here and try to get, this is the way out of my marriage, I'll just start belching on her. Uh, And then we'll just file for, no. Okay? Uh, but But I see that, why? He was rude, it was rude. I mean, there's times, you know, I belch occasionally and I say, excuse me. Okay? I mean, there's sometimes you just got to. Uh, That's why I don't drink soda pops. Why? You know what's happening? Me and soda pops have one outcome. Okay, I don't drink them. Why? Because it makes me, I sound like a little motor. Um, So I don't drink them. The word here that you see that says unbecomingly, it literally means shapeless or unformed. Okay, it was used in Greek um, culture to describe an undisciplined behavior. Okay, it's shapeless. It has no discipline to it. A person has not the ability to discipline their behavior behavior with others in mind. Okay? Do you change your behavior for the person that is around you? Uh, I remember um, people um, talk about why do you wear a suit and tie. I mean, everybody's going casual now. I mean, we got Hawaiian shirts and some guys are preaching in flip-flops now and, and, um, you know... Be casual, you know, because Jesus, you know, he was casual. Okay. Um, Actually, Jesus wore the robes of a rabbi. Okay. Which is not casual. Uh, So we'll we'll debunk that myth. And people say, well, you know, you're out west. It's more laid back now. You know, you can wear like a T-shirt with a jacket over it or something like that. And um, I thought about that. But you know what? There are people who are older. 
who will not listen to a person who's like that, dressed like that? In Russia, you have to wear dark shoes, black shoes, okay? And you, if you're going to preach, you have to have a, 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 a jacket and a tie on. And they won't even sit there. They'll get up and leave. Okay? Why? Because that's the way they were raised up. And a lot of the people in Russia are either very young or very old. And, and so it's rude to go in and say, here, I want to do it this way. And I don't care what you think. It's funny because you get the Russian pastors over here, you immediately throw them on a pair of blue jeans. Okay? Because you don't want them walking around your neighborhood in a suit. Everybody thinks they're Mormons. Okay? Well, they do. So you make them put on their blue jeans and they go out and uh, Yuri Sipko, who's the head of the Baptist Union, he wears blue jeans and, and, and a polo shirt and he just thinks this is cool. But he won't do it when he gets back to Russia. Okay, because, you know, they told him, dude, you look like a Mormon. Uh, so, and then you got that grin on your face. Anyway, people who are rude unbecomingly, um, overbearing and they're self-centered. Okay. Actually, if you really look at it, the rudeness that is speaking here uh, couldn't be a better definition of the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was unbecoming, uh, disorganized. It was undisciplined. Could care less about anyone else. They were so rude that at their love feast, they ate all of their food before those who had no food could get there to indulge. They ate the good food first. And... and, and, and they were hogs at the love feast. Um, their behavior at the Lord's table was so bad that they would get drunk when taking the wine. Women were taking the place of men, even in the church. That's how inconsiderate they were. And Paul says, you are not acting in a becoming way. You are undisciplined. You are rude. Um, the conduct of your ecclesias, your conduct of your assembly is the antithesis of love. I love that word. It means anti-love. It's anti-love. I don't love you. Why? I am here for me. Look at the church today. Let me ask you a question. Why do you go to church? Why do you go to church? Have you ever thought about that? Well, there ain't nothing on on Sunday morning. It's usually the NFC football team. I don't like the NFC. Might as well go to church. Why do you go to church? What he's saying here is, the basis is what? Love. Verse 3 verses says, you know what? You can have all the spiritual gifts. You can have all wisdom. You can have all knowledge. You can be the best speaker. You can have all faith. You can even lay your life down as a martyr. If you have not love, you're zero. You accomplish nothing. So why do you go to church? What is it you try to accomplish when you go to church? When you showed up this morning, when you got up out of bed and was getting the kids together and trying to, you know, get ready and dressed and all that other stuff, why were you doing it? See, that's what Paul's getting at right here for the Corinthians. I am doing it based on my love. Not my love for me. My love for you. That's the only reason. Why? Because I can go do this somewhere else. The church in Corinth, you have everybody shouting. Everybody's talking. Everybody's wanting prominence. No one... At all was considering the other. And guess what that is? That's rude. That's rude. It's unbecoming. And love is never rude. It's never unbecoming. Love is lost in how and what it does affect someone else. Did you get that? It is lost in how does what I'm doing affect another. That's love. It ain't rude. Did you get that? I want you to understand that. That's how important this is. Love has to overwhelm you in a way that I am completely lost in what am I doing to affect you. Did you ever get ready for church with that in mind? I am so wrapped up in the body of Christ right now. I must keep an eye on everything that I do and how it will affect you precious saints. 
You ever thought about that? I want to show you one of the most beautiful pictures of this that I have ever seen. It is done by our Lord. And our Lord protects this woman from rude. Now, if you're all thinking that it's where the woman was about to be stoned, you're wrong. Luke 7, verse 36. And one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine, Jesus, to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. They're having a party. They're having a spiritual party. Uh, You will find out here that he is testing Jesus to see if he's truly a prophet. Who is this guy? Okay. He entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined. Now look what it says in verse 37. It says, and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And the word literally there means immoral. Most people infer that she was a prostitute. But it literally means she was an immoral woman. There was a woman in the city who was immoral. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, guess what she did? She brought an alabaster jar full of perfume and went in to the Pharisee's house. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head, kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, I want you to shut your eyes for a second. Okay? Here you're having a very religious party. Okay, just shut your eyes for a second. And, and they didn't have chairs. Okay, so you sat down and there was a little bitty table and you sat down at, at the table. Okay, here you are, you've got all the grand poobahs of theology hanging out. These guys are theologically astute. And in walks a prostitute, a prostitute into a Pharisee's house. Okay, and she begins crying and taking her tears and pouring them on his feet. And then wiping the tears to clean the dirt off his feet with her hair. And then after that process is done, she takes this very expensive vial of perfume, which would have filled the whole room with its fragrance. It would have smelled like a whore. And he pours it on Jesus' feet and massages it in with her hair. What would have been your response? What would have been your response? I don't care how you think. When I shut my eyes and thought about that, I thought, that there is a strange situation. That is a strange situation. She's weeping. And yet this beautiful, wondrous thing is taking place. You have all the religious leaders. You have these men and women who know the Bible, who know how to worship, who know what you give when you go to the temple. They know exactly. They know all of it. They've been raised in it. They've been groomed in it. They are multi-generational. They know what the Bible says. Now here's what's funny. Verse 39 says, Now when the Pharisee, this guy's name is Simon, when the Pharisee who had invited him in saw this, now look what it says. It says, He said to himself, Okay, so this Pharisee starts thinking, if this man's a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. She is a immoral person. Immoral person. He has a thought. What is amazing about this in 40, Jesus answers his thought. He never gives a question. He's wondering if this man's called of God. This man is answering your thoughts. What do you think he is? A mind reader. He answers the thoughts. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. Why? I just thought this. I didn't verbalize this thing. I thought it to myself. Does he understand that there is a whore touching him? If you're truly a prophet, you can't touch a whore. You can't be touched by this. That perfume, do you know how she managed to get the money to buy that expensive perfume? Do you understand that? She just poured that expensive perfume out and she was selling herself to other men. 
you, let that touch you. It's product from her trade. Are you a fool? Everybody says you're a prophet. And he replies, say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom, who forgave more. He said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Or the? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, verse 47, for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many more, have been forgiven. Why? Read the next line. Why? Why? And tell me why this text out of 1 Corinthians 13 is not important. It is not something that you should be striving for with every ounce of your being. Why? Because it says right there, for she loved much. She agapai much. How much? She was willing to take expensive perfume and pour it at the feet of Jesus Christ. She was willing to kiss his feet. She was willing to take her tears and cleanse his feet. Why? She loved much. Hmm. Strange situation. Jesus answers this guy's thoughts. Throws it right in there and explains it to in a parable. The guy answers the parable correctly. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Let me ask you a question, people. How much have you been forgiven? Little or lots? Then how can you not love much? And you can't tell me you love Jesus Christ and despise his saints. It's impossible. Do you cover the brothers and sisters of the fellowship? Or do you expose them? When the brothers and sisters of the fellowship hurt you, do you retaliate? I'm going to another church. What happened to the love? You see how practical this is? Do I boast of myself? Or do I boast of what Christ does? There's arrogance here. I mean, she walks into a place. I got to give the woman credit. I would have never walked in there. Ain't no way I'd have walked in there. I don't care if Jesus was in there. I always wanted to come out the back. The woman enters and the first response is what? What are you doing here? This is an immoral woman. This is a sinner. Rude. It's arrogance. And Jesus shielded this woman from that scorn, from that rudeness. Look what he says. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table began to say to themselves, Who is this man who can forgive sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And she had to have some rock-solid faith. Let's be realistic. To walk into that environment? She just walked in. I want to what? Worship Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. When you go to church, why do you walk in? Why do you walk in? Why do I go in there? I just want to see if they had contemporary or traditional. Barclay said this on the translation of this text. Love does not behave gracelessly. Got that? Gracelessly. Love is gracious. It's never rude. It's never rude. It's gracious. It doesn't act gracelessly. I hope I said that right. I Kind of got a cold thing going on. It isn't just a matter of whether you're rude to a believer, but love is never even rude to an unbeliever. And I see this rampant. 
This group of people thought they were believers, and how did they treat this unbeliever? Rudely. I've seen Christians who don't smoke, who don't drink, who don't cuss, who don't watch cable TV and don't do that, and are rude to anybody who does. I remember having a party, a barbecue one time at the house, and we invited the church and everybody came, and we had people showing up from around the community, they were bringing beer. And I thought it was kind of comical. And, you know, then all of a sudden they said, oh. And I said, go ahead, you know, it's, you can drink it. I said, but these are Christians. If they crucify you, I'll wave at you. But why? Why would you be afraid of that? Now, be afraid of it if they're under 18. But I'm not afraid of that, so what? Huh, you had them? Yeah, on my property. On my property. Why not? Let me tell you something. You come down on a person who smokes and drinks, how much are you going to be able to share Christ with them? I got news for you. Do you believe it is your responsibility or my responsibility to point out the sins of humanity? No, the Holy Spirit does it. And if the Holy Spirit isn't doing it, you can't do anything with it. You can't do it. What are you going to do? Make them mad. And they're going to say, you're acting like a Baptist. How many Christians do I see who lose grace? They're not gracious. They're not gracious. Listen, if a person who claims to be a Christian acts like lost, treat them like they're lost. What does that mean? Share with them the foundational things of Christ. Well, but they... You're so holy, you've arrived. The Apostle Paul says, I've not arrived, I'm still pressing on. And Paul was just short of walking on water. Peter did, sort of. He's saying, but you know what? Peter got out of the boat. I wouldn't even get out of the boat. I would in the shallow. How deep is it here? Anyway. Right? But when I see people, listen, if a Christian, a person who takes the name, don't act like a Christian, I'm going to treat him like a lost person. You know what that is? I'm going to love him. If a Christian, and he is a Christian, falls into a sin, how am I going to treat them? I'm going to love them. Now listen, if I run into a shepherd and they're teaching error, I'm going to point out the error, but I'm still going to love them. Okay? It doesn't say, well, just let it go. No. Not not when you have a person who's in a position of teaching. Why? His is a harsher judgment. So it is. it would behoove me. I like that word. Behoove me to say, you know what? Yours is a harsher judgment. You want to make sure that that text is what you're saying. And I've said that before. Or my, my, my favorite line. And where is that in the Bible? Okay. And, and I don't have to sit there and argue with you. Why? My love says you're on the wrong track. Okay. But I only do that with leaders. Or us of the saints, I'm expecting you to be perfect. Dude, I haven't reached perfect. If I haven't reached perfect, there's no way you've reached perfect. Why? Because God said I'm supposed to be leading. And he's put me in that place. And if you're perfect, then you lead. I'll sit down. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? I hope so. Because this, we think about this unbecoming or rude, it's manners. No, when I look at my manners and check my manners and try not to act unbecomingly to another person, it's because I love you more than me. And because I love you more than me, I'm going to do this. Okay? And if you don't want me to put my elbows on the table, fine. You want me to chew my or slurp my soup? Fine. I'll go in the bathroom and drink it. No. What's he doing? He's finishing his soup. Why? He slurps. He can't help it. He's just a slurper. Okay? Too many of us close off the war world. We think we've arrived. I've been through some theology. I understand deep things of God. How do you mean? Listen. Why can't we sit and reason together from the Scriptures? Okay? No. I don't want to reason from the Scripture. Why? I'm right. You're wrong. That's rude. That's ungracious. How many are Simon the Pharisee in this room? Throw the woman out. Throw the woman out. Now then, let me ask you a question. Love is not rude. It's not unbecomingly. All right, yeah, you know. I mean, how many of us are rude when the JWs or the Mormons come to the door? 
I mean, there's times when I am. I'm busy. I got something to do later, dude. Okay, would you like one of my no? Oh, wait, I do. I need something to start a fire. Um, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I've had them in my house uh, sit down and dialogue. It's fun because ask them questions. Because, see, you're not going to win them. Listen, I got news for you. If they're, gonna, if they're strong enough to come up and knock on your door, you're not going to bend them. Please understand that. They've been trained. They have all the answers. And you have to ask the questions. No worries. I have all kinds of questions. And I like to use their Bible to ask the questions. If you're a student of the Word, you've read the Bible, you know where it talks about the deity of Jesus Christ. The Mormons and JWs don't understand the deity of Jesus Christ, and yet their Bible teaches the deity of Christ. So ask them the questions where those texts are. Well, I don't understand this text right here. And that blows their minds because they have ten questions that they're ready to answer, and I don't even touch those ten. i got this other one. What do you do with Colossians 1? I don't understand that. What do you do with Philippians 2? That one there just blows. What does that mean? And they go, oh, well, uh, we'll come back. And they do. And they come back. And the last time they visited, there was four cars out in my driveway. Everybody knows my driveway is a long driveway. Four cars in my driveway. And they were full of people praying that these two kids would be able to get me open up. And I sent them away. I, not, no, I did. And I said, well, I just, okay, but what do you do with this and out of John's gospel, chapter one? It says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. Who is that? What's that? I don't understand who that was. And that's what their Bible says. Oh, well, we don't know. So they all left again to see a little caravan of prey warriors go out saying, got beat again, didn't you? But you see what I'm trying to get at? Why? I'm not rude. I'm just going to ask you questions. Okay? What tribe? What tribe of Israel are you? What? Well, you're getting ready to set up the kingdom and there's 144,000 of it. What tribe are you? It's Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, what do you mean what tribe? Doesn't it say in like that last book, I don't remember, that there's 12,000 from this tribe and 12,000 from this tribe and 12,000? Yeah. So how many is in your membership in your church? A million? Uh Uh-oh. I thought there was only 144,000. You're not out of the tribe of Dan, are you? (laughs) They see what I'm trying to get at? Why? Just read your Bible. Why? What do they read? The Bible. They won't take you to the sacred books. Let me ask you a question. When we think about this love, okay, this love is long-suffering. This love is useful. Uh, This love is not jealous. This love does not boast. This love uh, is not arrogant. This love is not rude. Let me ask you a question, a real simple one. How's that look in your home? Your interaction with your spouse, your interaction with your children, the children's interaction with the parents. How does it look? It's that simple. That's where it needs to be practiced because once it's practiced there, guess where it goes out? Listen, what I've learned is, is what you see on the outside is usually a product on the inside. When we get ready to push present elders in this church, one of the things that I do and I pay closest attention to is the spouse. Why? Because if the husband ain't doing right by the woman, he will not do right by the church. Okay? What is the spiritual condition of the mother? Then I go to the next step. What is the spiritual condition of the children? Okay? Listen, I'm not into this that you got everybody's going to be saved. I mean, your spouse needs to be saved. But if your children ain't saved, your children ain't saved. Okay, but what is the spiritual condition? Does what is outside is presented, is that truly what is going on? Jesus was affirmed by God the Father this way. This is my son whom I am well pleased. You know what that means? In his private life, Jesus Christ was affirmed by God the Father. In his public life, Jesus Christ was affirmed by the Father. Why? And the first thing that I look for is what? Love. I don't care what your gift is. I don't care how talented you are. I don't care what you're doing. You know what? If you haven't got love, it is noisy. It is zero. It is of no profit. Love can, love will save us from the bitterness of jealousy. Love can and love will save us from the hot air of boasting. Love can and will save us from being inflated with our own importance. Love can and will that we, because we are not important, 
we, how can I ever be rude to anybody else? See, we have a tendency to behave without grace. We have a tendency to be contentious to others and others' feelings. Now listen, I want you to understand who I'm talking about here. I'm talking about Castle Rock Baptist Church. Okay? Just want you to know that. We have a tendency to behave without grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the love that you've poured in our hearts to the person of the Holy Spirit to every child of God. Father, that is amazing to me. Father, beginning with my heart, um, may your love overwhelm me in such a way that I'll be overwhelmed in pouring that love on as many people as you bring into my life. And that that love will be the thing that rules me. Father, that I'm more concerned about the effect on other people than anything it has to do in my life. Father, I thank you for this body of people, their faithfulness. Father, I thank you for the giftedness that I've seen. But Father, I beg you, help this church love. Help us to see this. Help us to rest here. Father, this is your will. For they will know us by our love. To your glory. To your praise. Amen.